In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on Toginet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships sans the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet. And now here's your host, Lou Paget. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for being with us this evening. Tonight, there may be a few of you who are going to be more interested in calling in because my guest is someone who wears two different hats in the area of sexuality. So just to refresh your memory, the call-in number, free toll-free is 877-864-4869. Again, 877-864-4869. My guest this evening is Dr. Chris Kraft, and he is both a therapist, sex therapist, and he is also a professor, a university professor, who teaches two classes on human sexuality at John Hopkins University. So, Chris, I believe I can see you're on the stack here with me. You're with me, aren't you? Yes, I'm here, Lou. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening. So, one of the first things that occurred to me after I'd sent you questions, I'd love for you to explain to people what exactly, how does a sex therapist differ from a regular therapist? What are the other things that get incorporated in? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, most people that work um, as a therapist um, are licensed um, and they've been trained under different degrees. Some people work under a master's degree and myself, I work under a PhD, so I'm considered and trained as a clinical psychologist. Right. Um, that's my first uh, and foremost training. And then after that, I, I went on to specialize in uh, human sexuality, where I did a postdoctoral fellowship and I did an extensive training um, and mentoring, and then you know focused my career on uh, education and, and clinical work around sexuality. So um, you know, there, some people will call us um, sexologist is another phrase I've heard because mm-hmm. I'm psychologist, sexologist. Um, sex therapy is kind of an older term um, uh, that used to be very kind of a narrow focus in treatment, a lot of sensate focus and old Masters and Johnson kind of work. Um, but now people encompass so many paradigms and modalities in um, in the treatment. Um, you know, it's it's broader than just sex therapy. That's a, just a one segment of what we end up doing because we also have to work a lot with couples. 
mm-hmm. because all people are, you know, in a relationship with somebody when they're having a sexual problem, so we always want to include the couple. Right. So we have both, both individual and couple uh, perspectives. So, um, but, but most people are trained originally as either a marriage and family therapist or a social worker or a psychologist, and some are trained as psychiatrists, too, um, to, to specialize then into sexuality. Okay. Now, and I do apologize for, you know, doing the oops on the, uh, you know, licensed clinical psychologist. That was my error. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing like saying, oh, by the way, I blew that. (laughs) Um, So here's one of the things I would like to know. What got you started and brought you into the field of sexuality? Because as I wrote to you, for many people, there's a tipping point. I know there was one for me, so I was wondering if you had one. Yeah, I had a number of sort of tipping points or places that kind of pointed me in in that direction. I had um, been living in Los Angeles and um, and did all my schooling there and did internships and and, and placements in different agencies around Los Angeles and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's Los Angeles. People are pretty open about sexuality and um, and identity and lifestyle. And a lot of these sexuality issues just came up in the people I was working with when I was getting training. But I would find that my 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 supervisors, my teachers, my professors, they really didn't know much about it. Um, it was also during the time of the AIDS epidemic, mm-hmm. and so there was a lot of stigma and discrimination, and there was all kinds of homophobia, and there was just all these sort of social issues and political issues that were going on around sexuality and um and I was and I was getting kind of frustrated because I just didn't have the tools I felt like I needed as far as working in these areas around right. being a sexual minority and sexual functioning and gender identity issues so it was mostly out of um, the need to get more training that I, I, I sort of tipped over and said, where can I go? And it wasn't until after I got my Ph.D. in Los Angeles that I found a, a, a training site at the University of Minnesota um, mm-hmm. where I then was able to, to really get immersed for a couple years in training. So it was a variety of, of factors. And the other thing that always kind of bothered me is, well, it bothered me a lot, is that a lot of other licensed folks that were mentors to me would say, well, I, I work in sexuality and I'm a specialist in, you know, sex therapy or sexual minorities or transgendered. And I'd say, well, how did you become a specialist? Oh, I just am because I, I understand minority groups. I've done it for a long time. And I'm like, well, where'd you get your training? Well, I sort of just got it on my own. Mm-hmm. And all that kind of, you know, made me uneasy because I was like, well, that doesn't sound like, you know, that that's really a solid foundation. So. Anyway, long story short, I <clears throat> I really wanted to have the foundation that I felt like it was hard for most people to get who were claiming to be specialists in the field. Mm-hmm. I, I, the reason for me, mine was the gentleman who was my hairdresser who got <laughs> sick with HIV AIDS and how he got treated by people. And oh, I found, wow. And I said... How and he had gone from being like Don Voice was his name, and he went from being the life of the party that everyone wanted to be with that all of the women who had money, you know, they went to Don, they got dressed, and when he was diagnosed, he became persona non grata and a social pariah. Yeah. And I watched that, Chris, and I was I remember reading one line where it said, "If I ever, you know, that it is isn't so much, you know." how I'm feeling, it's the social isolation that I no longer, no one will talk to me, no one will see me, no one will touch me. Oh, yeah, that was so huge back then. And I, think, said, yeah. Yeah, and, and I said, if I were ever in a position to do something about that, I would, and it turned out to be 
volunteering on the AIDS ward when it first opened up at Cedar sinai and that's literally how mine took off that in combination with all of the AIDS stuff breaking when I was a student in New York. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting how that influenced you, just the way it influenced me, because I had the same experiences with people. And I even had um, the, the opportunity to work with children and women who were um, dealing with HIV and ultimately dying, because in those days there was there was no treatment. So I was doing death and dying work was the first area I got trained in, even before I got trained in sexuality, because that, oh, really? was, the, that was a pronounced area. People would say, I've come to you to prepare to die. I mean, that's pretty heavy, and that was in you know in the um late 80s early 90s when I, you know i was in training and so that's you know kind of another reason why i was another tipping point for me is i wanted to be able to deal with these stigma areas death and sexuality which by the way tend to be two of the most difficult areas for people to really talk about socially and relationally as issues of death and sex mm-hmm. i've mean, gotten better with talking about sex but you know i was really challenged and enjoyed working in those really stigma stigmatized areas Mm-hmm. So, no, yeah, because I saw that when I went through um, and I looked at your, you know, Dr. Chris Kraft, for anyone who would like to find out where Dr. Kraft is, <laughs> it's C-H-R-I-S-K-R-A-F-T dot com. Right. And you are currently at John Hopkins, but you have a, a private practice separately from John Hopkins, correct? Yeah, I do. Um, I'm still affiliated with Hopkins. Um, a number of us um, from Hopkins who are on faculty will have uh, do outpatient work um, uh, part-time because we don't really have the time to do it full-time. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I wear a number of hats here at Hopkins. I uh, not only teach at the university, I also run a clinic, and a, it's a, a teaching clinic for psychiatry residents on Fridays where they get to interview a variety of sexuality and gender patients, and then I teach and, and attend for them on those cases, along with some other faculty members, and um, and work with patients there on just an you know, sort of an assessment intake format. So that's another hat I wear, which is is focused on teaching, because we have residents and medical students that are with us each Friday for the for those uh, interviews. So I wear a variety of hats, but I I do like my my two days a week where I can see people individually, either couples or individuals. And I also run a group uh, mm-hmm. for um, for men who are having issues with sexual boundaries, I call it. Mm-hmm. So um, I have that was a... going to be one of my next questions. Okay, what's that? <laughs> um, no, continue about the thing about sexual boundaries because I want to ask, I, that, that sort of leads into what my next question would okay. be. Okay, well, <clears throat> I wanted a group that sort of deals with all issues uh, of sexuality that per- pertain to um, problematic sexual behaviors. There's different language for it. There's compulsive sexual behavior. There's a sexual addiction, um, impulse control problems. So you get a, a lot of different terminology being used. But I wanted a term for the group that was general and wouldn't sort of you know slot it. Um, and it was and I called it a sexual boundaries group because I have some men in there that have just been dealing with infidelity and they're trying to rebuild a relationship. And then I have guys that you know are spending five and ten hours online masturbating to pornography. You know, so it, it's the whole spectrum of um of challenges so that's why i named it something kind of general mhm now cuz that's i know we have probably 1 minute until our first break but i know that in our field in our area the de- defining of that behavior or calling it whatever one wants to call it has become a bit of a hot potato right to, to put it mildly yes, yes and and i you know um 
you know, one of my, you know, heroes and mentors, I believe is probably also one of yours, is Eli Coleman. Mm-hmm. And Eli is the one who I go by his model, but yep. that's something, you know, I... All, all I do is I, I repeat what I'm told is, you know, here's, I'm, I'm the quintessential student. But I find that there's many times, and, you know, we're going to cover this when we come back from the break, that often it is because someone has told someone that they think that they're this way. You're, you're mm-hmm. a sex addict. And mm-hmm. they have no business making that statement. Right. And, and they're doing it as, as something to either shame them or tell them they're wrong or tell them, you know, you have to do what I'm telling you to do. And for me, that's not okay. Now, please stay with us. After the break, I will be back with Dr. Chris Kraft, and we're going to be talking about sexual addiction, compulsivity, and what do you really call it? (laughs) Be right back. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific on the Rockstar Radio Network. We'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Bryles is in. And each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, and yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Rockstar Radio Network. Are you powerless to stop making choices that hinder your happiness, your peace of mind, your sense of fulfillment, or success? Have your choices resulted in broken relationships, job losses, and financial chaos? Then be here for Strategies for Healing from Addictions with your host, Gary and Sharon Worrell. Monday mornings at 9 a.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Strategies for Healing coaches and empowers and seeks to help people discover their goals and reach those goals quickly. Provide structure, tools, and perspective to help clients accomplish more in their lives. To encourage clients to think bigger and realize their full potential. Strategies for Healing endeavors to see each individual come to a place of purposeful living apart from addictions. Check out the website, strategiesforhealing.com. Then join us for Strategies for Healing from Addictions with your hosts, Gary and Sharon Worrell. Monday mornings at 9 a.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. 
welcome back, everyone. As you can tell, we've been having a good time over the break. <laughs> okay. So, Chris, as we talked about before the break, there is this issue of what term do we call it? And if you can tell people what term you use and why, and then I want to go to the other area of specialty that you spoke about on the break about men and low desire. Mm, okay. <clears throat> well, you know, you're going to, this is probably sounds like a cop out, but I end up um, pulling and using language um, that many times fits the individual that I'm working with as far as how it's manifesting because every person's um, problematic sexual activities are are motivated and driven from from different factors um so what what i mean by that is you know i think the pop culture wants to use something like a sexual addiction that's sort of an easy term people can say well that's like alcohol i get that and you know everybody can fit under that paradigm and then there's a model of how to treat that and you know you kind of go down assembly line and you're all fixed but what i've found when people sort of take that one one track approach that they, they miss out on a lot of other things that need to be attended to so um some people are very what looks like addictive they're very hypersexual in the fact that they need to keep repeating their behavior over and over to the point of, of causing significant damage and harm to their self and others. Um, and that clearly feels like, looks like an alcohol manifestation. There's other people, and I see it more often in this arena where I see people are have really struggling with anxiety or depression, or sometimes anger, and this is these activities are a way of self-soothing, and that's where the kind of the, the compulsive, um, you know, term comes from for folks. Um, right. And then there's another whole other category that really doesn't fall in either one of those, which I just call problematic sexual behaviors and or conflicts over values and morals. You know, the husband okay. finds out the wife is masturbating. The, the wife finds out the husband's masturbating at night instead of having sex with her, and she says, "This is a sex addiction. You've got a problem." And he says, "You know, this isn't a problem. I can stop this at any time." But then. What am I celibate? You know, because they're not having a sexual relationship. So more times I see it falling on that end of the continuum. It's really a continuum from from healthy sexuality to problematic all the way to compulsive and addictive out of control. And I think too many times people want to just put it all in one category and just call it, call it sex addiction. And the, and, the, and society has done that with celebrities. You know, this person had all these affairs. It must be a sexual addiction. He went to a treatment center. He's okay now. And it's, it's unfortunately become sort of the excuse and the easy justification for why somebody did it. Sort of the addiction made him do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has taken responsibility away from some men um, who haven't been able to say, you know, this was my choice. You know. And, and, you know, here's the deal. Let's be completely honest. For some men, they live in rarefied air, and no one says no to them. They can do what they want, and they've got a lot of people hooked up to their gravy train. Sure. And that's why, and I, I mean, I've been around those men. I see them, and no one says no to them. Right. And, you know, that's, that's fine. But I love this comment about conflicts of morals and values. Yes. Because that yeah. is something that often does not get... Um, brought up it's more someone does a well you're doing something i don't like but they right. don't really look at it as hey listen this they don't talk about hey you're hurting my heart and you're hurting who i feel i am in this relationship with you exactly and exactly. if you if you truly loved me um you wouldn't be doing this but then we forgot to look at the area of well this person's been saying certain things to them in a way that didn't make them feel very masculine 
that can be part of it, or just just the the fact that there's a break in the marital vows. That's a that's values and morals right there. Yeah, no question. You know, one person can feel justified and say, well, it was just an escort. It's not the same as my wife. I didn't kiss her. I don't love her. Oh, you yeah. know, if and, and I say this to people, what people do does not surprise me. What just shocks me to bits half the time is how they rationalize it. Yes, that's exactly it. That's, and that's values and morals right there. Yeah, and, um, and I'm like, what? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, everybody makes meaning out of it differently. Even just the, the reasons people are sexual, is there's all different meanings. That's one of the things I ask my students in the beginning of the class is, why are we sexual? What is the purpose of it? You oh, know, that's you get great. All, I mean, that's a, nobody ever asks that question. You never ask that to your partner. Why are we sexual? What is it, What are we doing here? <laughs> you know, it's funny you should say that. Today um, I was at the Sports Sheets booth, which probably has the best vanilla kink uh, line of products. And thanks to Fifty Shades of Grey, their business has gone through the ceiling. No, sure. But they have such, they have, you know, a great line. And the woman who is Sherry Poe, who is now the um, uh, senior uh, VP marketing manager, she was saying, you know, look, let's be honest, restraint play is actually a way of playing with your partner. It isn't just tying someone up. And I said, well, it's your body saying what words cannot. Yeah, there you and, go. And I remember being told that um, by a uh, a French MD who, and to me that was like one of the best things I'd ever heard. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it is true. It's your body saying what words cannot. So over the break, Chris, you talk about another area of specialty you've got, talking about low desire and and low sex desire for men mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the treatment because we often. We often constantly hear about it for women. So how do these men find you and what are, you know, what's, what are the things that can be addressed or how can you make them how can you make things be normal or feel better about what's happening for them? Yeah. Well, it's it's really interesting. Uh, a number of my colleagues have been talking about this, and we've been noticing this even, uh, the referrals to our clinic. And many times these men are brought in by their wives or their girlfriends, um, you know, just like the reverse of when it's typically men bringing in their wives. And they're saying that my partner, in this case my husband, or let's just say husband, um, doesn't have an interest in being sexual with me or we have very little sexual um you know, relating together, mm-hmm. and um, there's they're in distress about this, and usually the woman is in this case. Uh, sometimes the guy is embarrassed or uncomfortable. Sometimes he's not, um, and it's 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 a fascinating sort of turn. And there's a lot of things we could talk about about why that's probably happening. I think mm-hmm. one of the big reasons is because women are much more proactive and verbal about sexuality, their sexuality, uh, wanting to be sexual, enjoying sexuality, which is a huge change from where women were with sexuality. 20, 30 years ago, um, right. not all, not all, but the majority. So um, to now have women that are more proactive and saying, you know, this is this is something I need, um, is is a change, which is a good change in a lot of ways. And I'm hearing some men say that part of their problem with is that they, with this is they feel intimidated. You know, the power dynamics have changed a lot between um, couples. Um, you know, men and women are much more equalized with careers now and mm-hmm. lifestyle, and there's not this hierarchy, which some people say the hierarchy was a, is good for sexual relating. 
but when it's more equalized, it's 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 not as hot or as sexy, um, and so you'll hear these guys kind of comment on that. You know, my wife, you know, doesn't feel, you know, like the kind of woman that I saw my 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 friends with when I was younger, or my, even my father and mother. You know, she's kind of driving the show here, and you know, I feel intimidated by that, and it doesn't feel like I don't feel like the man anymore. And so there's all these role changes and gender role challenges that I see mm-hmm. that are emerging, and that's a part of what I help talk to these couples about is just that and they can see how that is happening now there's not an easy answer to that because you don't want to say to the woman well you know start being more passive and let go of your power and you know give it all to your husband you're not going to say that but um you no, know hardly <laughs> yeah, so, you know, and, and and sometimes they'll say, well, let's play around a little bit with power and see if that helps. But there can also be other issues like some medical issues. I've had some guys that have gone through some serious medical um, scares and, and cancer scares and, you know, other factors. I can also have folks that are really depressed or other big life changes going on that are affecting their, Money their libido. Stress. Money stress. Money stress. I've seen men... Yeah who when they do not feel like they can, you know, when they've gone from being a very serious provider to, like, not having a job, I mean, their identity and their identification of self is very much tied in with their ability to provide in the size of their wallet. Yeah, no, that's a huge one with that loss, especially with the economy recently, men losing financial status. The other the other thing that I'm finding out when I hear this complaint that the man's not interested, and I'll say to myself, well, where is the sexual outlet then? I say that to myself, and then when I talk to him by himself, I say, so how much pornography and masturbating are you doing? And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, we got a whole other world over here going on. <laughs> no right. wonder you're not having much desire with your wife. I mean, this isn't happening, explaining all of it, but there is that subgroup that because, and we're even seeing this with younger men, men in their 20s, who because of the ease and the speed of being able to use technology and pornography can have these rock star sex lives virtually, that there's not really the same kind of motivation to uh, focus on and, and have the kind of quality, intimate sexual life with their girlfriend or wife. Now, again, this isn't for all men, but this is an emerging um, area that we're seeing because of technology. So that's, I think, another thing we need to keep our eye on. Well, no question about that. And I think for you, being within a university environment, you're probably seeing more of it. I mean, there was a phenomenal article, He's Just Not That Into Anything. Yes, I, I, I read that was great. And it shows all the guys, and they literally, I mean, they're, we're seeing it now, too, that we have young men, 14, 15, who are worried. And I remember having this conversation with Winston Wilde, and he said he has, you know, they're, they're coming in and they're saying, nothing is turning me on. Yep, exactly. And they have rewired their brain with porn to the point that when they are with a young woman's body, they don't feel anything. Yep, yep. The other uptick we're getting with these same kind of guys is more problems with a de- delayed ejaculation mm-hmm. um, or, or even anorgasmia, unable to get to orgasm with their, mm-hmm. with their partner, and you'll hear the same kind of thing. They're just not getting aroused enough, or they've been um, masturbating and ejaculating so much earlier in the day or the day before that they're spent, you know, but some combination of that, that they're not able to get to the orgasm. And I've had a number of guys come in who are in their mid-20s complaining of, of delayed ejaculation. And I'm like, okay, let's kind of back it up here. What's what's, what's going, going on? What's going on? Now, and on that happy note, we're going to our mid-break. <laughs> and then we will come back, and we will be in fine form. We will We will be able to take this home. 
Okay. <laughs> Please stay with us. Dr. Chris Kraft is my guest, and we'll be right back. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. I love it. Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen know it. Join these soul sisters on toginet.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. Showcases two sides. One, to help entrepreneurs showcase their products and tell their story of their happily ever after. And two, to interview people who have realized their own fairy tale and doing something to benefit others. This show is here to help folks who have an idea and want to get it off the ground, as well as to inspire people to make the world a better place by doing something extraordinary or out of the box to help others. Both of these entrepreneurs have their own businesses and websites. With more information on their passions and successes, first for Debbie, FairytaleWishesInc.com. And for Deanna, TheNextBigZing.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. With the Soul Sisters, Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen on toginet.com. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Viktor Frankl, the inspiration for the movie Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection. With host Mary Similuka and frequent contributor Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things. And are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you again for being with us. My guest is Dr. Chris Kraft, and before the break, we were talking about the issues that he is seeing uh, presenting coming into his clinic and also in the university world that he lectures in. And you do two classes in human sexuality, right, Chris? Yeah, that's correct. Two, well, actually, it's a total of three, but I teach the two of uh, the same one twice. <laughs> right, that's what you said, because the other one gets so popular, you have to right. open another section. <laughs> exactly. So you were saying that when we're on the break, that there's also more of that being seen within the college environment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what it falls under is just the general area of technology and, and the Internet and how much that it does impact 
socializing, dating, and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my students are talking about and bringing up those issues um, and challenges, you know, just with how to navigate in those areas. Um, what's What we're seeing, and also in the college population, we know that there's now women are outnumbering men statistically in most universities. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, guys are kind of sought as sought after commodity to some extent if if women want to get involved with them. The other thing in a school like um, Johns Hopkins University is everyone is is graduate school bound or medical school bound, and that means they're going to be leaving the area. So starting a relationship in undergraduate and college doesn't make a lot of sense. So a lot of them are keeping things casual and short term. Um, But there was a study out not not too long ago that looked at um, men and women in college campuses and really found that a lot of these men um, have very low motivation motivation to be in an ongoing relationship where historically people, guys would be in a relationship so they could be have sex. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't need to be in a relationship to have sex um, and that the women are competing not only with other women who are willing to be casual, but they're also competing with the technology and the internet and the pornography that is also just as satisfying for men. So huh. you know, there's, a, there's a whole new level of sort of competition, if you want to call it, that now involves technology and the lifestyle of how people live. And um, and there's not sort of that need for the more traditional kind of dating and, and longer-term relationship for a lot of these younger people. A lot of people are pushing marriage back much further. They're pushing back first the, uh, the age of having their first child. Everything's getting pushed back now because of education and career. Now, this isn't for all young people, but the, for the bulk that I'm exposed to because they're all, you know, educating for careers. That's the, the, the trend we see. Mm-hmm. Now, what what are the things that... Your, let's say you've got your classroom. Are the majority of your students women? Yes, it's about 75 to 80% women in each class. Okay. Um, I'm always thrilled when I see you know, men out there. I'm like, yay. No, some of that is uh, selection bias. I think guys might be a little bit more uh, intimidated or not as comfortable to take a human sexuality course. Um, some of it has to do with the majors that are allowed in my course because I'm in the psychology department. Right. That might be another factor. Um, so, and then, and then just with there being more females on campus. So, but it has always been more females in the class. In fact, the, the ratio was more balanced in the beginning, but it's gotten more tips towards all primarily female. Mm-hmm. Now, when they're coming into your class, you're doing one on sexual health, sexual health behavior. Mm-hmm. And then you have another one that concentrates in the area of paraphilias, fetish, the the more more edge type yep. of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Right, which, right. Which one's the most popular? Um, the human sexuality courses. That's why I have two sections of it. That's always been more popular mm-hmm. um, because it's 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 broader and it covers a lot more uh, different domains um, uh, of 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 health, you know, biology and psychology. The other the other course covers that too, but the other course is kind of more advanced. So I also recommend that students take the human sexuality first if they can before mm-hmm. they take the the the, the paraphilia class. Um, so it's a better progression, um, but they're both always completely filled and on the waiting list is always longer bigger than the class size itself so that's mm-hmm. a good thing but it's a, it's a, it speaks to how difficult it is for 
students and people in general to get good education around sexuality. And they'll say that when they take my course. I end up with all seniors because I limit it to juniors and seniors, and seniors get priority on registration. So they're all seniors in the class. They're going to usually graduate after this class ends. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, this is the first time I've had any training in human sexuality. I had some basic course in you know, junior high on plumbing and condoms, but you know, I never have had an opportunity to take anything like this. So, so they're also really hungry for it. I think that's why there's such a you know a demand right now when you you had mentioned also when we were setting up um the interview that they do um they do an essay and they you know they're not really they don't ask you i don't believe you said that they ask that many questions yeah, they they do ask and we, uh, some questions and we interact, but it's usually about the specific topic I've brought up. They don't bring in something on their own, sort of like I'm struggling with this. Um, I think there's it's harder in these environments for them to do that in front of their peers and to get personal. But in right. their personal essays, they have to do reaction papers, they're called, and they are given five different topics to write about. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a, t- a trend that I'll see, because the class is primarily female, um, I will typically get um, people focusing on on the body image question, how does your body image uh, in fact uh, affect your intimacy and your sexuality? Mm-hmm. Um, and more times that that question gets uh, a lot of attention and a lot of, of really some very deep sharing. It's just it's really sad to see you know how many women um, really do struggle with their appearance and their body image, um, and and how they're plagued by that when it comes to dating and intimacy um, and and feeling like they can compete. You know they're having to compete with the media and pornography. Well, they, well they're they're having to compete with the fantasy. It was a fantasy that's not realistic. You're absolutely right. Right, and I, you know, and I looked at all of this stuff when I, you know, was at the adult novelty show yeah. today, and I'm looking at these completely airbrushed, stylized bodies that are supposed to be presenting this is you being sexual, and it isn't you. Right. Um, and you know, women look at this and they go, "Well, that is so not me." Yeah. Yet, I mean, we know, you know, that working with women about because if it's your body that you want to have someone be accepting of you don't want to feel it's going to be criticized and women have been criticized from the time they were five years old now the body uh, the objectification of women has just been is rampant it's just it's it's so sad i mean there's there's certainly a a level of it for men and i'm seeing men also struggle and Mm -hmm. will write about that topic but it's still you know way more females i think the other pressure around image is also being um a good sexual partner being a good lover like you know because of pornography and what they do learn from the media they think there's a certain way they're supposed to be sexual and it's really about a performance they feel so much pressure to perform perform for that male partner usually to show that you know he's pleasing her and she's enjoying it and you know, there's this there's this performance pressure, and the men are also talking about that too. And they have been they have been for a while. The men have been for a while. Where, yeah. You know, 15 years ago, it wasn't an issue. Right. right. Not 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 to the same way. Are there questions, Chris, that they are not asking? 
you know, they they try to talk about it, but they're not experienced enough yet to really talk about what is intimacy and how do you develop an intimate um, connection with somebody to be in a, a long-term relationship with. Um, that is something that most people, most of these kids don't have good role modeling. They, you know, many of their parents are, aren't good role models of, of functional, intimate, satisfied couples, you know, they only see it in sort of a, a glossy Hollywood movie or it's, you know, or it's shown in some extreme dysfunctional way through some reality show. Mm-hmm. But those are the things that I like to talk about and I will talk about with them, but they have a really hard time going there. And I, for and one, I don't think they fully get the importance of the true intimate, um, open communicating couple relationship. They don't see and understand how crucial that is to a successful long-term relationship and sexual relationship. So that's the areas that I wish, and I think a lot of it has to do with they just haven't been in some long-term relationships yet. Um, and what they think and see of long-term relationships, again, comes from a lot of, you you know, image, you know, it's supposed to look this way, you know, it's supposed to have this certain kind of wedding, I'm supposed to have a boyfriend or girlfriend that looks like this, and, you know, we have this kind of career, and, you know, there's a lot of um, stereotyping and expectations that they have on what they think a long-term relationship is. So that's that's the area that I worry the most for them about, because it's really hard to engage that part of the talk. Uh, it's easier to talk about, you know, sex, sexual acts and functioning and, you know, the other areas, but that's the area that I find missing. Could you know, and, and on the break I was saying that my stepdaughter in New York, um, fabulous, I mean, she's just she's bright, she's pretty, she's, you know, finishing her master's, going on to do her Ph.D., and she knows how to totally take care of herself, she does not need a man in her life, but she wants a man in her life, yeah. and she wants to have a partner. Okay. And she's finding it very difficult to find someone who, you know, is willing to step up to the plate. And she's got, you know, she's kind of like the the ready-made package. So, oh, yeah. Well, one of the downsides is, unfortunately, she lives in one of the largest cities in this country. And I know when I first moved to Los Angeles, it took me a long time to to make connections and make friends just because of the size and the impersonalness that large cities can have. But I am hearing that in 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 with women in a number of cities um, where they are wanting to 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 get into a relationship and are really struggling. Um, most of the socializing that goes on, people are doing in groups and cliques, and there's not sort of single environments or places where you can meet a single person and people don't flirt anymore. They don't, you know, it's really hard to tell who's available because of the internet and technology. People are using the internet to flirt and to try to connect and to online date uh, or to you know, chat or to interact. Um, and that's where people are developing their sort of social skills now. And I think in face-to-face social skills for younger folks, I think, are really, unfortunately, not as developed. And I well, you know worry what? about this. Right. Here's the thing. We have 30 seconds until our break. Uh, it, does that mean, then, that there's a whole need and requirement in the area of, like, manners and socializing and everything that can be done as something 
in order to have people learn how to reconnect with one another. Is that something that, because we had cotillion balls, we had other things like that, where people met one another. And on that note, we will be right back after the break. (laughs) We're going to come up with a solution. I just know it. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. What's ideal for you? Really, what's ideal for you? Being who you are, doing what you love, and getting out and about with friends. What's ideal for you? With your host, Janice Christopher. Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. And it all starts with Janice doing just that. Then being open, curious, authentic, and living her life on a quest to discover everything that could possibly make life ideal. Check out the website, whatsidealforyou.com. Studies have shown that 80% of Americans, and probably everyone else too, dislike their work. 80%. The mission then is to turn that passion statistic around. To show how it is possible to live your passions and make a living. Or live your passions so that you'll be able to mush through your job until you can change it. And watch life's magic begin to happen. It's What's Ideal for You with your host Janice Christopher. Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Tune in to the Travel Chick Show with Bonnie Kitohata. Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Bonnie will share with you an hour of travel ideas, experiences, adventures, and tips from her guests. Topics range from local day trips to international excursions. From organized professional vacations to spur-of-the-moment getaways. For fun or business, groups or solo, by bus, car, plane, train, boat, bike, hike, or horse. You'll also hear about travel-related subjects like cultures, travel photography, keepsakes, and more. Whether you love to travel yourself or you enjoy seeing the world vicariously through others, join us and enjoy travel stories from around the U.S. and around the world. For more information on The Travel Chick Show, check out Bonnie's website, thetravelchick.com. Then join us for the show, The Travel Chick Show, live Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time with your host, Bonnie Kitohara, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back again. Um, Dr. Chris Kraft at John Hopkins University and drchriskraft.com is how to find him. And um, you're also an ASEX certified uh, therapist, aren't you, Chris? Yes, I've been ASEX certified for many years. I'm also an ASEX supervisor, so I train other oh, up-and-coming therapists. Yeah. Now, how many people are looking to go into the field now? 
oh, I get so many students that come up to me after class and or email me, you know, how do I get into this? What do I do to study this? Where, which colleges do I go to? And sadly, there are just no universities that have a human sexuality department or major or an emphasis where you can do research and get the broad knowledge that you would get like if you were a sociology major or a biology major. So that just doesn't exist. Right. Um, there is one university in, um, outside of Philly called Widener University that is right. the only one that has a human sexuality, uh, I think, Ph.D. program and also mm-hmm. master's program. Um, but again, that's just one. And then after that, it's also hard to continue to get even a postdoctoral uh, training, uh, mm-hmm. except if you do Eli's program in Minnesota. There's just no other places in the country. So it's really hard to get mentorship and good training um, in the field because there just isn't an academic foundation in the universities. Well, we're, so, you know, well, we're working on that, Chris. I know we are. We're trying to get that. Even in the medical schools, medical students, as you and I talk about, get very, very few hours of training in human sexuality, and they become physicians, and the physicians are the first place people go to many times. Right. Right. with questions or problems. So, you know, there needs to be a lot more uh, education and available in general, but that's a huge problem if somebody wants to do what I do because it's really, there. it's it's a hard, you know, it's a hard path to, to find unless you're willing to to make some big sacrifices and move and, and try to mentor with some specialists, but it's... Right, no, I, yeah, it's, I, I know that many people have asked me, and I'm like... I I went through in such a completely different way in writing my books that but anyways here's the thing there are those options if someone has the passion for it they'll find a way to do it they'll sure. do something they'll go and do licensed clinical work they'll do something but they'll find a way because if this is literally to put it you know in other terms your calling you will find a way to do it now you told me when we were first setting this up that because, you know, that they are very, your students, because they're very academically tuned, that they're very good at finding information for themselves. Tell me, what are the best websites that they tell you they use that has good information for them? Because, as I say, there are some websites out there about sexuality. Those bloggers should have their keyboards taken away. I agree. Um, You know, they don't come back and say they found a specific site um, because most of them are using the academic journals and the the, the, um, psych lit and the PubMed and the different um, uh, um, search engine searches that are out there through the library systems for the um, for the published journals. So so they're using published journals and academic stuff. They are, but I I require that as a foundation for their final paper, at least five academic resources. But then they'll also find web resources and periodical references online, and they're just so good at searching and finding material, and I always encourage them to send me things that they find that are related to the class that I'm I might not have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so they use a variety of sources. But, you know, I'm always, I like to refer people to like um, Kinsey Confidential is a great website that's mm-hmm. put out by the Kinsey Institute. Mm-hmm. It's a great resource for education and, and resources. There's a couple other sites, I'm not remembering at the top of my head. Um, that uh, And there's also a woman at salon.com that I always read, Tracy. 
oh gosh, I think it's Flores or something. I'm, I'm sorry for those of you who follow her. I think she writes very well about the field, and, and, and she interviewed me once a year, few years ago on a topic. So, yeah, there's a few places I go just to sort of keep up on stuff, but it's true. It's hard to find good resources um, that come out that are, um, you know, even more academic because a lot of it can be a, just opinion pieces. Right, and that's the thing. I mean, I think it's really lovely that someone wants to talk about themselves, but it may not relate to me or anyone else. Exactly. And you know, and I think it's really nice that you do this, but honestly, I don't care. <laughs> right, right. So yeah. now, now let's let's go back and go talk again about the dating stuff. What do you recommend to them? Because I do think there is something about creating a new dynamic of how people can interrelate. Because if we do not have people connecting, and this is an issue that I see, if we don't have people connecting. We have people not creating relationships. They are not creating the foundation of what we call our society, which is relationships and families. Well, however, how, however we define families, because the so-called married with two kids is no longer the most common household and has not been for the last two sets of um, census that have been right. done. No, that's a very good. That's a very good point. And you know, in the in the number of single people has continued to to go up, particularly in large cities. There was an interesting article about the number of singles living in large cities, and these are people usually more middle aged and up, um, mm-hmm. who have careers that are living very comfortably single, um, mm-hmm. and maybe having some um, friends with benefits or some some casual partners, but don't want to be in long term relationships. And we also don't really know and study those folks enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are still people that want to be in a relationship. Um, a monogamous, you know, long-term relationship, and those are really hard to find. I think they've become harder to find because we live such a fast-paced society and we don't socialize together and, and congregate like we used to with, you know, clubs and organizations. And, you know, some people are good at doing that. That's what churches, the function churches used to serve, still do, was a place for place people to congregate. But those group congregation places don't exist unless you're in a very large uh, employment setting with a lot of employees around you or a university or, or a school setting, it's hard to have that. So I'm always exploring with people first, where can you put yourself around people to socialize, to make connections there if you want to try to date. But I'm just seeing more and more people turning to online dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just been really impressed, particularly with middle-aged and older um, adults that I work with, both men and women, how easy and how much they're enjoying putting a profile up on, on a site like Mac com or, or um, eHarmony and um, exchanging emails and setting up coffee dates and and meeting people and I've just seen I've just seen this 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 age cohort really really take to it and um, well they're one they're one of the biggest groups yeah or using it they are they are like one of the biggest growing groups in any area for internet dating. Oh, it's amazing. And I've got this guy who's 60. I just saw him um, last night. And he just, he, he the, the women are just pounding down his door. I mean, you know, this guy is an, a, he's an attorney. You know, he's got a good job. He's, he's in good shape. You know, that's the other thing about online dating is there's a certain level of criteria that you sort of have to meet to sort of be in the game, which right. I think is also hard for some people, particularly younger folks that want to date online. You know, they still might be in school. They, you know, haven't really established careers. And I think that makes it harder to, you know, sort of feel like you're, you know, kind of in the mar- in the marketplace and, and competitive in some ways. And a lot of it is very looks oriented, you know. Well, there, so much, well, there, yeah. 
There's no so much about, about the, that. Yeah, it's so much about the face shot and what the, the pictures look like. That's the, the criteria based on what they hey, use to read hey, about that. But here, let's be let's be really clear. Um, Chris and I, Dr. Kraft and I, are on the leadership council for the um, first endowed chair in human sexuality at the University of Minnesota in their program of human sexuality in the med school. And we are, what are we, a group of 13? Yep. yep. 13. And one of our members happens to be an older woman who was an MD who was overweight and she went online and she was absolutely upfront about who she was, what she wanted, what she was interested in. And lo and behold, if she didn't meet, like literally the love of her life through internet That's dating. True. That's true. And they are now married. And she is, they are just so happy, but she was absolute. and what it was, was how they communicated with one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've had other women say, I was absolutely upfront that this is who I am and this is what I wanted. And not that I'm not going to be who I am and I'm not going to be this. And But here's the other thing. People are attracted to people who like themselves. I mean, right. I mean, I, let's be completely honest. You and I have seen people who look like a million dollars, but you know that on the inside they don't feel like a million dollars. Yeah, that's for sure. And I don't care what anyone tells you. You are magnetic about what it is that you are. So if someone is having a good time and they're laughing over in the corner, it doesn't matter that they might be by themselves. Okay, so they're not a maniac and laughing by themselves. But they're there enjoying themselves. That is something people are drawn to. Mm, I agree. Oh, I agree. I think getting past the exterior and finding the other qualities and appreciating them, and maybe it's easier as people get older to do that. Um, and I think some younger people can do that. Um, but you know, there, there, there is there is a, a shift out there in people's ability to to connect and meet if they're willing to engage the technology. And I think it's a very it's a good thing in some ways that this is a resource that does expose people to a large number of potential people to date and right. to get to know. <clears throat> and what I would recommend, because I've done this as kind of a bit of a giggle, I've gone through and I've looked at different websites and seen who is here, who is there, who is here, who is there. Now, I can also tell you that they sometimes populate these websites with completely fraudulent guys. Oh, yes. yes. And, and, oh. and we know that. So you just have, you know, caveat emptor, <laughs> you know, buyer beware. You just have to, you know, look at and... You know, it, here's the thing. If it sounds too good to be true, it just might be. Yeah. You know. Yeah. There's so, even a rea- there's even a reality show about I think it's called fishing or something where people. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. They and how about they... the one about the gigolo? I just saw all of his porn stuff today. Yeah. Well, people misrepresenting themselves online. I think there is that issue, and I think that's why it makes some people leery about wanting to do online dating because they don't feel savvy to sort through and figure out what, figure who's out genuine who's, and who's not. Who's who. Now. Yeah. We're, we're coming to the end of our show here. Yep. Thank you, Chris. My guest has been Dr. Chris Craft. You can find him at drchriscraft.com. And for those of you, there is something that if you want to discover how to do, be, and have your heart's desire, contact me for a free CD, and I will get you the information. 
310-556-3623. Chris, thanks so much for being on the show. <laughs> thanks for having me, Lou. It was great. Okay, a big hug, honey. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thank you for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget 